Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're just going to be reading the first seven verses. In the beginning of this book, Paul established the necessity of proper theology being taught by the leaders of the church for the unity of the church. And he contrasted those who wanted to be teachers of the law but didn't know what they were talking about with Timothy and Timothy's work to silence them. In the second chapter, he then began to talk about the importance of prayer, that the gospel would go forth, and the unique way that women are engaged in the work of the church, both in limiting their leadership and in giving themselves to bearing and raising children. And now in the third chapter, Paul returns to the idea of leadership and he explains what kind of men are supposed to be overseeing the church. And the first thing that he says is that being an overseer is a good thing to desire. Now, that's what we're going to focus on this morning, that that one phrase, we'll look at all these verses, but I want to keep that in our minds as the context. You know, we, we've read, we've studied chapters 1 and 2. And then Paul says that anyone who aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. So let's study that. Let's see if we can figure out why it's a fine work, and what that means for us. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Why is being an elder a good thing to desire? Well, the first, most obvious answer is because it's good work. It's important work. Paul is teaching that the elders are essential for the church and her mission. You remember in Titus that Paul says that he left Titus in Crete so that he would appoint elders. Paul is not content to establish little groups of Christians all over the world, which is pretty amazing in and of itself, right? Through the proclamation of the gospel, here Paul is out on his missionary journeys, and he's not not happy for it to end with, oh great, now you believe the gospel, now you've Now you've believed that Jesus is the Christ uh, and you've got the Bible, so read the Bible. And I'll send some extra letters. We'll be adding to the Bible here for a little bit still while Paul's alive, right? But that's not enough. In the same way, evangelism today is not enough when it goes out and 
the proclamation is made, and then it ends with, okay, good, now you're a Christian, see ya. Or even, okay, good, now you're a Christian, uh, so here's a Bible. You understand? Paul, that great missionary, does not just proclaim the gospel, he establishes churches, and, and so what, he's, what that means is an ecclesia, a body, a, a gathering of Christians. There is no such thing as a Christian out on his own. Christians are part of the church of Christ, the body of Christ. And so then when you come to this letter, Paul is dealing with leadership in that body. And, and the same with Titus. Remember, it's written to, both, both First and Second Timothy and Titus are written to younger pastors, so you're already, the, the letters are written to leaders, but then he's talking to them about how to lead, and then he's talking to them not just about how they should lead, but how others should lead in the congregation, in that body, right? Of course, we have this list here, we read it, and, and, and it's a... It's a marvelous contrast to what Jesus describes as uh, that the Gentiles, the leaders, the rulers of the Gentiles love to lord it over them, right? And it's a marvelous contrast to the passage that we read earlier where he says, you know, beware of those who love to uh, pray long prayers for the sake of being seen before men, who love the places of honor, who, who love to take advantage of, who, who really are using their office of leadership as what? A way to get things for themselves, in service to themselves. As a way of getting, through their own ambition, the desires, the lusts of the flesh, right? Praise from men rather than God. Honor before men rather than God. So now you've got Paul, and he's an apostle. He's been set apart to this work by Jesus Christ. And he's not content to let his life run out without establishing for the leadership, for the continuation of the work that he has begun in leading the New Testament church. So to Paul and to Jesus Christ, elders are essential for the church and her mission. Elders are essential. Why are they essential? Well, because gospel proclamation and conversion work are carried on largely by the teachers, the elders, right? And so... That's why earlier in the book, in chapter 1, you read Paul telling Timothy about how to make sure the teaching is the right teaching in the church. And it's also why he then moves forward and begins to talk about praying for all men. He begins to talk about the gospel going forth that, that even people in positions of leadership in the secular world would hear, would be, who are we supposed to pray for? Oh, all men, and, and especially those who are authorities, right? Kings and rulers and so forth. And so, and so Paul understands that as the leaders go in the nation, so goes the nation. And as the leaders go in the church, so goes the church, Right? You can see this playing out in the way that he, he goes back and forth in these, in these topics. This letter, Paul's great at going on these rabbit trails, right? He, but, they're, but they're always connected back to what he's been talking about. And so, and so we see here, if, if you just take a step back and you read straight through Timothy, 
it all begins to make sense how from the very beginning he was talking to Timothy about leadership, about his leadership, about what it means for him to be a pastor or an elder in the church, and then contrasting that with those who are doing a bad job, who are trying to take on themselves the work of being teachers of the law. He says they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't have the foggiest clue what they're talking about. And then he moves forward and he begins to say, now what do we want? What we want is the kingdom to go forth. We want the gospel to be proclaimed. We want people to be coming in. How are we going to accomplish that? Well, first by praying. And so there needs to be unity in the church over doctrine so that we can lift unified holy hands in prayer, men. And then he says, oh, and by the way, women. And he goes off on that, and we spent time where he's talking to the women, right? And then he returns back to this where he's saying, so now, about these elders, we need elders, Because it's a good work. And so if you desire to do a good work, you're desiring a good thing. If you're desiring that something important happen, you're desiring a good thing. But not everyone who desires a good work to happen or who desires something important to happen has any desire to take that work on themselves. Right? And in fact, some people are prevented from taking that work on themselves. We just got done reading that the women are not to teach or exercise authority. And so instead, the men are commanded. And then, not just any old man, right? Even though if you desire to do it, you're desiring a good thing. But not just any man, not just all men, but specific men, specific kind of men. So Paul narrows it further. Why does it have to be a specific kind of man? Well, because it's a specific kind of work, and it requires a specific kind of gifting. It requires a specific calling, right? What he goes on to explain is that not everybody is fit for the work for various reasons, If the elders are going to protect the church of Jesus Christ from false doctrine and its terrible consequences, which he's already talked about in the the beginning of the book, then they have to be people who are capable. They have to be men who are capable of doing that. Protecting, right? If he's just gotten done telling Timothy to fight the good fight, And if he's talking about elders joining Timothy in that work and keeping certain men out of that work, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about men who need to be able to fight the good fight. And so being an elder is a good thing to desire. It is important. It's it's essential in Paul's mind for there to be elders in a church. And as a matter of fact, it's not a question of whether there's going to be leaders. Is it? There are always leaders in groups, aren't there? There are always leaders in groups, believe me. And we see it in this particular group that Paul is left Timothy Paul's writing to about Timothy in Ephesus, right? Why? Well, because there's a specific set of leaders who need to stop being leaders. Hymenaeus and Alexander need to be no longer leaders because they are not fit, because they are not fighting the good fight, because they are not protecting the true doctrine, because they're doing damage, because they have no idea what they're talking about, because they just want to be teachers of the law so that they can, as we read in the passage where Jesus was speaking, have honor before men so they can lord it over others, so that they can control others. So being an elder, having elders, is a good thing. Having good elders is. Having bad leaders 
or bad elders is a bad thing. It's bad for the church, it, just like it's bad for a nation. If the, if the fathers of the nation do not desire truth, do not desire justice, if they have no compassion for the weak and the helpless, what happens? The nation suffers the consequences, right? Now, with both nations and with the church, God has set it up so that there's all of these uh, these conundrums that we find ourselves facing the moment we start thinking about it, okay? Because on the one hand, God has to call elders, right? And no authority has been given but that which is established by God. And so all authorities are to be honored and respected. And even as Jesus said in our passage this morning, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, right? And so all leadership is God's leadership. All authority is God's authority. All who have been placed into authority have been placed into that position of authority by God. And yet, on the flip side, here Paul is talking about what the qualifications for an elder are. Right? And so... The, the people are to be involved in the choice of who will and will not be an elder. Even as he's saying to, to Titus, in, in the book of Titus, to appoint elders, right? We've seen that here in Ephesus and in the, and in the uh, book written to Titus, that these are meant for the whole church to read, right? This is not a private letter just to one man. It's meant so that everybody can see whether or not these qualifications are being met by the men that are being put into positions of authority in the church, right? And the same is true in our nation, right, where we elect representatives, And yet God is the one who places them into their positions of authority. So those sorts of, that, that sort of conundrum that you face about, you know, how are, how are men chosen? Well, they're chosen by God and they're chosen by men. And that's, they're both true, right? That's the conundrum. We, we, you immediately get down to talking about God's sovereignty, and you may as well bring up the problem of evil and the, the question of free will, right? But what I want you to see is, and we're not going to go off onto that tangent. If we were reading in Romans, Paul would go off on that tangent, but he's just writing a pastoral epistle, so, so we're not going off on that tangent. But what I want you to see in bringing that up is that God has established elders. God has placed men over his church. And the people are involved somehow. You. You are involved somehow. You say, well, we didn't vote for you. And I say, right and that's kind of that's kind of the point this morning. This is a mission church, right? We we need local elders here. And so it's our desire to have men raised up for the work of being elders. Right now we have an elders board that is made up of men who are mostly outside of this body. And the that is, that's a gift from God. That's a blessing from other churches that are allowing their elders to serve us in this way. And yet, it's temporary. It needs to be temporary because we need our own elders, right? And so you will vote, 
right? Does that make sense? You will vote. Now, <clears throat> being an elder is hard work. It can be thankless to silence those who want to be uh, talking. Right? Even when you get thanks, oftentimes the thanks is delayed. The person who won't shut up, you shut them up. And finally they leave, right? Five minutes later, everybody breathes a sigh of relief and somebody says to you, thank you. I didn't know what needed to happen. I just knew something needed to happen. And now I know what needed to happen. And then so that's, there's some, there's some sweet gratitude there. There's some thankfulness there. When, when men are faithful in the work of being elders, there is all kinds of joy in that work. But let's not kid ourselves. It is often thankless, right? Because the moment that you silence somebody and, and the one person breathes a sigh of relief five minutes later and thanks you, five minutes after that, there's somebody else who's saying to you, well, you know, you really shouldn't have done it that way. And typically, you know what? They're right. Because elders are sinners. Men, fallen men. God, God has placed sinful fallen men over his church. And so you, you work hard as an elder in the work that Paul has described at the beginning of this book, right? You work hard at it, and you fail, and you sin, and people are hurt and harmed, and you're hurting yourself, and yet the work has to happen, doesn't it? There's no option where you say, well, you know, authority is just bad. Leadership is just bad because it can always be abused. Jesus warns us against those who are using their authority and their positions for themselves rather than for the service of God's people, right? And yet he doesn't say, therefore, we're not going to have any authority in the church. Therefore, we're not going to have elders. Does he? He says... Here's what the criteria are. He chooses apostles. He sends them out. The apostles write the New Testament for us. So being an elder is definitely hard, can often be very thankless. And any man who has been an elder for any length of time has gone through very, very hard things. And the rest of the church, even in a small church, knows very little about how much work, how much time, how much energy, how much emotional toll that work takes. My point is not to try to get sympathy for myself, but for the, but, but for the men who will serve us one day as elders. Because I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and so you all know when I'm depressed. Being an elder is hard. It's also a lot of responsibility. And men today don't like responsibility. I don't think that's new. I'm just saying men today don't like responsibility. Some people pursue responsibility so that they can have the things of this world because they realize that God has set up the world in such a way that if you take responsibility and you are willing to do that nasty bit, then you'll get all these, these good rewards, right? People who take more responsibility at work Get promoted, get a raise, 
right? And so, but here we are, and we're in a nation where everybody's got plenty. You know, I know I could work harder. I know I could take more responsibility, but eh, I got enough. I need no further rewards, right? Because responsibility is kind of nasty. Because responsibility means the buck stops with you. And in the church, we're not just talking about responsibility of you know whether the, sh- the shop got closed down right or whether the... Rather, whether the, all the money is in the cash register at the end of the day. In the church, we're talking about responsibility for the well-being of others and for the goodness of the family life, of the ecclesia, of the body. And this is why in verses 4 and 5, Paul talks about what? How they have to have, these men who are going to serve as elders have to have succeeded in a lower level of responsibility. That lower level of responsibility being taking care of their own family and children. Well, that responsibility, right? And not just taking care of them, but what does it say? He must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, I, uh, I, want to, I want to point out that this lower responsibility is both more fundamental, right, that the, the man has a fundamental responsibility to care for his own family prior to expanding that level of responsibility up into the church and, and, and responsibility for those who are in the church, right? Just like he has a more fundamental responsibility to take care of himself, okay? But now I want to I challenge a common notion that, that that structure where you've got you know, yourself and then you've got your wife and then you've got your children and then you've got the church, right? You see how that builds? Excuse me. You see how that builds? Now, there's, there's a misunderstanding that's common that then says that, that the level of importance, it goes the same way, right? That the most important thing is that you take care of yourself. And after you take care of yourself, then the most important thing is that you take care of your wife. That, you know, and that after the, you, you know, after you take care of your wife, then there's something slightly less important, which is all those kids that are running around or whatever. And then eventually, if you can get all of that stuff done, then if you have anything left over to give, then you can give that out to the church. So the most important thing is looking out for number one in that, in that way of viewing the world. You see that? Now, most people don't start with that inner, that, that level one being yourself. But it's becoming, it, people have gotten so shameless about self-love, their, their love of themselves, that even that they're willing to just state blatantly today, many, and, and you read it in all of the self-help books, I think. Even the Christian self-help books, you know, love your neighbors as you love yourself indicates that first you have to learn to love yourself, right? No. It doesn't go in in order of importance. It goes in, in order of fundamental responsibility, right? The first thing that kids are learning to do is to take care of themselves, not their not their sister and brother, not little baby, but... When you're four or five, you better be learning to take care of your siblings too, right? <laughs> and so it goes, it goes out in levels of, of you know, in, in fundamentalness, in the, the, the order is 
you're first learning to take care of yourself. You're then learning to take care. But what is the level of importance? The level of importance is increasing as you go further out. Do you see that? Now, that's what we see with this managing his own household well. It's a prerequisite because the the bigger thing of caring for the church is more difficult and more is at stake. It's more important. Now, this does not justify ignoring all of those more fundamental levels of care, right? You see what I'm saying? It actually establishes that they must be there first. You must have already learned to figure out how to get out of bed yourself. And then to have learned to help your kids get out of bed and go to work. And then you can begin to give other people counsel on how to do those things. You see? We so quickly twist these things around and flip them upside down and say, well, I'm going to pursue uh, the most important thing, and we've put the level of importance. We flip that totally on its head. Instead of saying, no, the most important things are, and therefore I am working my way towards the more important levels by taking care of these other things first. When we get that wrong, when we flip it all upside down, then we end up with this really strange, perverse idea that somehow, um, you know, the least important thing is is where the, the biggest number of people are affected. It doesn't even make sense, right? And that's why, again, I keep referring back to the passage that we read earlier in the service, where Jesus is asked what the most important command is. The most important command is, love the Lord your God. And then the second command is, love your neighbor. It's not love yourself, but that's what we've wanted to change it into. Now, why do I spend all of this time talking about importance? Well, because what I want you to see is we're talking about the importance of the work of elders, right? And so... If we as a church are confused about where, where the responsibility of men for themselves, for their family, for the church, how all of these things, like how, what the, where the importance is, why priorities are the way they are, we'll be prioritizing all of the wrong things as we look as a church to appoint elders. And of all kinds of people who are going to be going, well, I don't see why I should become an elder. In other words, denying that first tenant that he who aspires to the office of an elder aspires for, desires a good thing. We will immediately think, well, no, it's a bad thing. It's all kinds of extra responsibility that's going to impinge on the most important things in my life. Making sure that I can take care of number one. Remember that funnel, right? And even if we, not, we aren't so gauche as to say, looking out for number one, we'll say, well, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt my ability to really care for my family and my wife. Okay, well then, um, here's the thing. You're not qualified if you're not taking care of them. Do you see? That, that's actually what's going on. But if you are taking care of them, and we'll, get to look, we'll look at some of these other requirements as well, but if you are taking care of them, then what? You should be thinking about whether you can also 
begin to take care of others. In other words, you should not be selfish with the gifts that God has given you. Not everybody is called to be an elder. But do you see it as a good thing? Do you, do you have a desire that you may one day be qualified, be strong enough, be able to do that work? That list of requirements, it's, it'd be nice if you could just ignore them, right? Well, you know, some people are called elder. I'm not one of them. And so I guess temperance just really isn't that big of a deal for me. Well, I mean, it would be nice, right, to just not have to worry about that list. But here's the thing. Everybody has to worry about that list in themselves and in others. Because remember, we're going, to be, we're going to be choosing, we're going to be voting on whether men are going to be our elders, our leaders, Lord willing, someday, right? And it's a difficult list of requirements to meet. Above reproach. It starts off awfully hard, above reproach. Above reproach. How many of you are above reproach? This is, an, this is all these sound like yes, no, you know, just like on or off, right? Well, either you are or you aren't. Above reproach. Nobody raised their hands. I didn't see any hands. We've got some little kids. <laughs> What does above reproach mean? And reproach, he ends the list with reproach too. Did you notice that? Having a good reputation with those outside the church. Why? I'm looking at the wrong book. I wonder. That's 2 Thessalonians. <laughs> Why? so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So even if you are above reproach, there's possibility that then as an elder you can fall into reproach, can't you? And then that leads into the snare of the devil. Well, what is that talking about? That leaders could actually be ensnared? Yeah. Remember, that's what we saw at the beginning of the book, where there were men who wanted to be teachers of the law who had no idea what they were talking about? The confident assertions? Don't understand the first thing about what they're saying? And they're harming people. Leaders harming people. And then Paul writes to the Ephesian elders. Remember, Timothy's in Ephesus. And Paul writes to the Ephesian elders. Or no, he says to, he says to them, where is that? Is that in Acts, the record of him leaving? Yeah. Some among our own selves will rise up, false shepherds. He's talking about the, the elders. That even from among the elders in this church that loves him dearly, that false shepherds will arise. So you meet the requirements maybe, and then what? Then you have to 
keep, keep meeting the requirements. The husband of one wife. I've been in groups where we go through this list and ask people to do, on a scale from 1 to 10, grade themselves. Men, where do you fall on, on above reproach? 10 being perfectly above reproach, 1 being, I am reproached, reproachful and reproaching, reproachable, right? Well, that's the one question where everyone's either a, a 10 or a 1 in their own minds is husband of one wife, right? And then there's some single guys who are confused, like, I, I don't know. Uh, I think I'm not disqualified, am I, just because I'm not married? I, I don't. But what I like to remind people of is that the husband of one wife is just a reiteration of what? The, com- the commandment. We've got the Ten Commandments, right? And Jesus expands that commandment into all kinds of additional things, right? That we not commit adultery also means that we not look with lust at another woman. And so now let's start, let's go back to this. The husband of one wife. Is it, a, is it a 10 or a 1 true-false question? Are you going to actually have to think about that one too? Temperate. Does anybody even know what temperate means? You've heard of the temperance movement, right? Well, if you've taken history class, you have anyway. It's not a thing anymore. I was against drinking. Temperate. Prudent. Prudent means you know what to say and you know what not to say. Right? Respectable. Able to be respected. And of course, you know, remember how, remember how I said there's these conundrums where you've got, well, on the one hand, God puts people into leadership, and on the other hand, people are voting. Well, another one of those conundrums that we see here is that, that it's connected to that. You know, what do we respect? We say respect a bull. And then we judge based on what we, what we respect. So what we respect in a man is often that he has a, a well-paying job and lots of disposable income. And so we vote for rich men to be elders. But where does it say rich here? It says respectable, right? And James actually says that the, the rich are worthy of less respect in general. And Jesus actually says that the rich are having a harder time getting into the kingdom of heaven. So what we find respectable, we have to then tune our our desires to what God's desires are in each of these categories, right? As a church, as a body, men and women. So, so if you want to be an elder and you think, well, I have to be respectable, you might think that means you have to start smoking a pipe and wearing a bow tie or something idiotic like that. But that's ridiculous. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking, but does it affect your dress? It does, actually. It does actually matter what you wear because you're not respectable when you're a slothful, disgusting slob. Right? And so, and so there are aspects of respectableness that, what would you say, they are, uh, they correlate well with, with wealth? 
You know that um, you know that people who are born into poor families have a lower IQ when tested. Correlation, causation. We don't have the foggiest clue, right? And so, and so, uh, dressing well correlates with being wealthy. Taking care of yourself correlates in some manner. You, there is some aspect of respectability that goes along with being able to hold down a decent job, right? Being responsible. So there are aspects of respectability that we've sort of, that, that we've learned by osmosis from, from our culture. There are aspects of it that we've learned from nature, the way that God made the world to work, that are accurate. And yet then we confuse what's respectable with the result of the respectability, and we start voting for money instead of respectability. You see how that works? It's one of those conundrums. And and so what we want as a congregation is what we get in our elders. Hospitable. Isn't that something that women have to do? Can't we just leave it to the women to be hospitable? No. Able to teach. Not addicted to wine. And by the way, you know, I could we could preach a sermon on every one of these in the list. I don't want to go forever. <laughs> but able to teach Remember, at the beginning, we were talking about you have to have some clue what you're talking about first. You don't just become able to teach because you become able to talk. This is something that kids always need to learn. They, they, they learn to talk, and then they start to teach. Or at least some of them do. I don't know. I've seen it. You are not in charge. They, they begin not just to teach, but to command. But to be able to teach requires you to, to understand the word of God and to be able to expound it in a way that other people are helped, encouraged, strengthened, because all of Scripture is profitable, right? For teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. And so... If we're going to benefit from Scripture, able to teach means able to see what those benefits are in the passages and to make them known to others in a way that they can understand. So yeah, absolutely. Those who are able to communicate well have an advantage in being able to teach, but is it the most fundamental thing? No, there have been all kinds of pastors who have been used by God mightily, who their communication method is reported to have been about as bad as mine. And that gives me hope. Because actually, the more fundamental thing is that we understand the Word of God and why it's important to the people in front of us. Able to teach is not some theoretical thing. Elders become elders of a particular church. They are leading and teaching particular people. This is why we don't do church via simulcast, right? Not because there's anything wrong with a video feed or a TV or technology or anything like that, but because it's like being married to somebody who's in a different state. It just doesn't work very well, does it? There's a lot of things you just can't do And it's obvious to anyone with eyes to see. And so able to teach well means that you have to be present, among other things. Not addicted to wine. Didn't we already have temperate? Hmm, Temperate must mean more than something related to alcohol. Remember I asked if anybody knew what that meant? Some of you guys are going to have to go home and look that up. Somebody's going to have to tell me what temperate means. Think one of you kids could go look that up when you get home? 
temperate? I bet you could. Not addicted to wine. Shouldn't that go without saying, Paul? Don't you all think that it should go without saying? Well, no, because we're sinners. That's, that's as simple as that. No, because we're sinners. No, because remember how I said it's a heavy weight? Remember how it's a thankless job? Remember how it's hard? And you know how people like to use alcohol to escape from that? Well, you better be real sure ahead of time that you're not going to jump into drugs or alcohol or some sort of escape into any addiction. Not pugnacious. Pugnacious is somebody who just likes to fight, just likes to be aggressive, just likes to be in squabbles. Uh, It seems to have an emphasis particularly on physical fighting. Not pugnacious, as in doesn't punch people in the nose when when he gets mad at them. And, and we laugh because today we're like, you know, so far from that in America because we don't have any idea what it means to be a man today, right? But have you ever seen the videos of Parliament in other countries where they're actually fighting? Fist fights? It's, it's astonishing. They should be disqualified, right? And also, have you ever seen the videos of your own children? And their first inclination, when things start getting out of control and not, not in what they want to have happen, the hand flies of its own accord, doesn't it? And so it doesn't go without saying. Why doesn't it go without saying? Well, because we know how, how immediate that instinct is. To fight by violence, to, to, to simply try to get our own way because we like getting our own way. And so instead we're to be gentle, peaceable even. Free from the love of money. Ooh. Very, very hard to judge today whether somebody is free from the love of money. And that goes for the rich and the poor. Love of money is an equal opportunity sin. Whether you have it or you don't, you can love it. Poor people like to look down on rich people for being rich, selfish, Rich people like to look down on poor people for being poor and selfish. And boy, I, you know, the stories that they'll tell about each other, that we'll tell about each other, right? Because we see that love of money and what it can buy us. And, the, and a lot of times the only difference is whether you're somebody with low tastes or high tastes, or whether you have any ability to delay instant gratification. Manage his his own household well. We already covered that. Not a new convert. Why? so that you won't become conceited. And fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Yikes. 
he keeps going into these difficulties, these dangers of what it means to be an elder. It is dangerous. Being an elder comes with its own temptations. That includes conceit, falling into reproach, either receiving the same condemnation as the devil or falling into the snare of the devil. And so the list is hard. The requirements are high. The work is heavy. But it's a good work. It's a good work. And so don't despise elders simply because they're elders, because they're in authority. It's good. God made the world that way. And don't despise the idea of being an elder. Maybe you are not prepared right now. Maybe you do not meet the requirements, but you ought to desire that you would meet all of these requirements even if you will never be an elder. You ought to be seeking all of these things. We need elders in our church. Do you have the desire to see that work done well? Then you should be praying for it and for the men that God will put into those positions. And you need to be able to evaluate whether men meet those requirements. You have to be able to evaluate. So if you don't know what temperate means, you better go look it up. Do you aspire to this work yourself? If you do, it's a good thing. Some of you aspire to it and you never will be there. And that's okay. And some of you don't aspire to it, but God will put you into it anyway. And that's okay. And that's been very common throughout church history. Augustine did not want this responsibility. Gregory of Nazianzus did not want this responsibility. Uh, Who else that you may have heard of? Oh, um, oh, Ambrose. Ambrose did not want this responsibility. Um, All, who, who else? John Knox did not want this responsibility. Calvin did not want this responsibility. You just go down the list over and over and over again, men that you have heard of that have done amazing work for God's kingdom in their work as elders and pastors were put there against their will. In some cases, physically forced. In other cases, forced by the threats of their friend who will pray God's curses down on them if they don't. So like I said, it's, it's no new thing for men to want to avoid some of this responsibility, is it? But it's good work, and the church of Jesus Christ does not survive without leaders, sinners though we are. So you know the dangers, you know the difficulty, you know the temptations, the thanklessness, the responsibility. So some of you should get to work on the requirements. And others of you, let's just say, it's not beyond the realm of comprehension that we would put somebody in against their will. Because it's good work. 
It's important work. So let's pray that God will raise up elders for his church here and around the world.